Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Great to be here today. Um, so excited for today's interview. I'm all amped up because I've been reading this book, Eric, that you can see titled Sophie. Sophie, yeah. Dog Overboard, The Incredible True Adventures of of it of the Castaway Dog. And she is a blue healer, Australian cattle dog on the cover of this book. And I have the author, Emma Pierce, with me on the line to talk about the details of this book and her experience writing it. Emma, welcome to The Dog Show. Hi, Julie. Hi. Thank you. So I saw this book when it first came out. I think it's been out for three years now. Uh, Did you say? Yeah. It came out through kind of staggered, but 2012, 2013, okay. depending on where you were. Yep. Okay. And I remember, um, you know, I don't remember how I saw it or how I heard of the story or something, but I was like, oh, my gosh, that sounds so amazing that this dog survived on a a very remote island for it was like five months. And I was like, I've got to, you know, I've got to read that book and and talk to the author and all that stuff. And then it just I don't know why, but it just took me this long. And so I'm so excited to share (laughs) share the story and to have you on the show. Um, and of course we have two cattle dogs. So this is especially, you know, I'm, I love all dogs, of course, but the fact that this is about a cattle dog uh, hits it a little closer to home for me. So, so this, the book, I, I'm just curious how you got connected or inspired to write this because it must have, you know, been sort of, after this all all had happened and was in the past. And then, you know, there was so much information to gather about the family, you know, the Griffiths and, and there's so much detail in the book and you really get to know, you know, both two-legged and four-legged um, characters, uh, you know, real life characters you really get to know, I feel like you really get to know the family and, really get to know the dogs and, you know, the, their other dog, Jordy, that they had. And then, of course, Sophie. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's like you follow along in this story and that it actually happened is just incredible. How did you, um, you know, I'm just curious about what your inspiration was or how you got connected to the story. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so it, it was uh, a layered process just in terms of um, deciding to go ahead with turning it into a book, uh-huh. um, first of all, and then the actual turning it into a book um, uh, was, a, was a long process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, you know, uh, with any book, the, um, it's, the, the story was obviously incredible. And when Sophie was found... Mm-hmm. which is not entirely a giveaway. Right. She is still alive. Yeah. Um, when she was found, the story went viral. It yeah. went worldwide. So it was all across the news. So there was no question that that was an amazing story and that there was a lot, um, there was a backstory to be discovered. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the next um, step was to find out who these, who this family was 
and you know what kind of characters they were and and how the whole story um could become a 3D yeah. um tale and the griffiths as you hopefully get to know in the book are just a really wonderful dynamic very true blue aussie family mm-hmm. um and they live in a, a kind of iconic area of australia so the fact that Sophie was this iconic Australian working dog, yeah. she'd been through this amazing ordeal, and the family were so wholesome, and um, and they were just we we talked quite a bit before we decided to go through with it, and um, they just it was just obvious that there was a real great really great family um, tale and adventure story to be written. Yeah. I mean, there's so many aspects of the story, even just from Sophie's um, entrance into the family and how their youngest daughter, Bridget, was um, in her last year of high school and all of their kids. They had four have four kids and that they each had had a dog growing up and Bridget wanted a dog. And there was this um, there were these two cattle dog puppies left at uh, area, you know, local pet store. And she wanted um you know, had just sort of fallen in love with one of them, convinced her parents, uh, (laughs) convinced her mom, and then her mom, you know, made it happen. And then they just brought home this, this little puppy and, and it was Bridget and Sophie basically totally bonded for like the first six months. And then Bridget went to Germany for studies for like a month. Yep. And then Sophie was like, okay, well, who am I going to bond with now? And so she she bonded with Dave, the dad. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, and then it was funny because Bridget came back and Sophie was like, didn't just jump ship. She kind (laughs) of stuck with Dave and then bonded with Jan. And and, uh, there was a really really clear piece of this about how their youngest daughter, you know, leaves for college eventually, you know, at the end of the year. And um, they had Sophie was their um, dependent. And she really Mm -hmm. filled a really important space for them as they adjusted to having their last child leave for college. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Um, I mean, they're they're a very close family. and Bridget was the youngest by quite a few years, mm-hmm. so their other three children had left a while back, but they're all very um, close-knit. Um, you know, they all see each other for, they're always together for holidays, and so it's family, a real tight family unit. So when Bridget um, left for college, I think Jan and Dave were probably not <laughs> not quite prepared. Mm-hmm. Um and Sophie at that point was a was an outdoor dog still. They never they'd never had not only she was she a working dog, I mean she was domesticated, but they kind of had this um the ethics somewhat of, of the philosophy of of um a working, you know, a family that that breeds or has working dog yeah. traits. Um but that quickly <laughs> that quickly changed when I think they realized what a difference it was without without children there. So Sophie Sophie became their child basically, yeah. um, and very quickly got to 
move inside and watch television with them at night and sit on their laps. And um, I don't think I don't think she ever uh, made it to to the the foot of the bed. <laughs> but yeah. I'm sure she tried at some point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she was she was very very important to them to their um, emotional happiness and and moving into that next stage of their life. And it sounds like she was a pretty um, a pretty special dog just as far as her temperament went. Um, and there's a lot of um, you know they had had cattle dog before at least one and then another one um, after and that. She was different. She was uh, fairly calm and had a, uh, you wrote uh, that there wasn't an aggressive bone in Sophie's body. Uh, didn't mean that she was a pushover from early on. Sophie had a gentle authority. She did not threaten by growling or nipping, but when they were out and about or at home with visitors, she always stood close to Bridget and usually between her and whoever else was around. Her head would drop low and she'd look ahead, her eyes almost sleepy, but one move from the visitor and she'd fix her attention on them. It was more a vibe than an action. And I loved that description. Um, I talk a lot on the show um, and in my um, in my work outside the show, I work with dog training and behavior. So there's a lot of talk about nonverbal communication and, you know, not only reading dogs and where the dog is coming from, but also being mindful of how we are communicating to them and that the words are the least important aspect of that. Um, so I could totally mm-hmm. get when she just had a, a, a powerful presence about her and she was yeah. quiet about it, but there was definitely no mistaking. Yeah, yeah, that, that was definitely her specialness. And I think in the in the pet store window when, Brin, when Bridget saw her, she was the one who wasn't jumping up and going crazy like the other ones. She was chilled out, Yeah, um, had a self, self-assuredness about her, which is um, not necessarily a cattle dog trait because they are yeah. so, you know, they're bred to be energetic and they're bred to be somewhat aggressive. Yeah. Um, and... I mean, well, their loyalty is their main thing. So I think for her, um, she felt immediately part of the family and immediately bonded with Bridget and then Dave. And I think that kind of fed into her chilled out (laughs) Zen-like personality Mm -hmm. as well. You know, she really um, had her role pretty immediately in the family. Yeah. so it was a yeah, it was a calming presence for them, and they were they were calming for her as well. Um, it's it's fun to focus on different breeds as they come up, you know, in in various stories or you know when we have the opportunity. And um, I have talked about cattle dogs before, um, of course, having two of them myself, and <laughs> and uh, you know having an appreciation for how uh, talented they are, and also how tough they can be and, um, you know, really understanding what they were bred to do and their tenacity. And, you know, they're not, Mm. they're not huge dogs, you know, they're, um, you know, they're not big, you know, German shepherds or mastiffs or, or, you know, big, large dogs. Um, but they really do pack a punch. If you think that a dog that weighs 35 or 40 pounds, can move a 2,000-pound bull, 
um, you can appreciate how powerful their presence can be and how you don't necessarily want to get in their way if they want something. Um, and uh, it was really throughout the book about how the, the, her tenacity and her breed is really probably what saved her life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, they're not big, but they are sturdy and they're very muscly. Um, and as you would know, and as long as they're, you know, well-trained and well-exercised, they're super strong. I mean, she's, yeah, it's funny that you say that. I don't, I don't think of her as huge, but she's, I, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't pick her up easily. Yeah. She's, you know, she's a. They're solid. She, she's hefty. Yeah. Um, and you see that. And also there's something about the blue and gray fur as well. That's kind of like, <laughs> don't mess with me. Yeah. Um, and yet she's got this super, super sweet temperament and super sweet face. Have so you met her? Kind of this. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I spent, I spent a lot of time. I was kind of an embedded reporter. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was, what allowed me to gather so much detail. I basically lived with them for a while. It seemed um, like you must have, book. yeah, it seemed like you must have been there in person because you got so much detail and really captured the the life of the family and their interactions and stuff. I'm jealous that you met her. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty great. Yeah. yeah. She's, um, she's, she's chilled out. I think we all have something to learn from, from Sophie mm-hmm. and just, you know, somewhat, from her zenness and her chilled outness, and um, she's really got a presence. But you definitely, you she's got a wisdom as well. Yeah. And when you're in your presence, you really feel that she's been through. She's lived. <laughs> that girl has lived. Yeah, she has. So um, why don't we take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get into more of the details of the story of how this dog uh, ended up surviving on her own for about five months on a mostly deserted island off the coast of Australia and (laughs) uh, ultimately reunited with her family. So we're talking with Emma Pierce. She's the author of a book titled Sophie, Dog Overboard, The Incredible True Adventures of the Castaway Dog. I highly recommend this book. It's very, very interesting. It's a fast, easy read, a really great book. Again, it's titled Sophie. We'll be back with the author in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. But don't let the tide take you too far from me. We'll go on and find who you want to be. And know that my love for you will never leave, dear Sophie. Looking for an easy way to give your dog's food a boost in nutrition? Or maybe your dog has a sensitive digestive tract, itchy skin, or is just a picky eater. We've had such great success feeding St. John Creamery raw goat's milk to our pack, and I recommend it to my clients all the time. You can get raw goat's milk for your dog all over the country. But if you live in western Washington, be sure it's St. John Creamery you reach for in the freezer section of your local independent pet supply store. You can also pick up your milk at drop locations around the area. Visit stjohncreamery.com to learn more. That's stjohncreamery.com. Your dogs will love you for it. Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, 
even dog food sensitivities. You name it, and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me, host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. (laughs) Ready to shake things up? Try Alternative Talk 1150. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. So go on and dream as big as the sea. But don't let the tide take you too far from me. Oh, go on and Eric has me almost about to start crying because of that song and the book that we're talking about. Nice choice, Eric. Uh, the book that we're talking about, we have Emma Pierce, author of the book, Sophie, Dog Overboard, The Incredible True Adventures of the Castaway Dog. And uh, Emma, welcome back to the dog show. Hi. Oh, we're going to start getting into some of the details of this really just mind-blowing story. Um, so we talked a little bit about the background of the family and Sophie, and uh, she's an Australian cattle dog at, in Australia, and... Um, the family, so Jan and Dave just have their their last child leave for college, and they had recently bought a boat, and were starting to enjoy that 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 life, and cruising around in the boat. And it was uh, one time their daughter Bridget's idea, who's the one who um, was the first one to bond with Sophie, um, suggested that they bring Sophie out on the boat, and it was. It was love at first uh, trip. She, The dog loved being on the boat, and she was very well-behaved and always knew where to hang out and just conducted herself very well. And so they would go on trips um, to nearby islands and, um, you know, go for day trips, go for overnight trips. And the dog loved, of course, being with her family and um, just loved boating and, and always loved the water, too. There were lots of stories before she went boating about how she was, you know, on the beach and swimming and, and just, they were always like, she's a water dog. She's a water dog. And one day they're out and it was, uh, so Jan was, had the wheel for a little bit while Dave was doing something with the engine, I think tweaking something or just checking on something. And they Hmm. were, they were passing through this, this sort of passage that, had uh, strong currents and would do weird things. And it was just, and there was, I don't know, big rocks or something like that. And they had to be really careful. And Jan felt a little uneasy about driving. And she was sort of like up top at the wheel. And she called Dave up to just kind of come up and help her handle and check the settings and stuff. And mm-hmm. the, the dog was um, just left. They said for the first time that they had ever done that was was left the dog down below by herself and he said that he was up there for about 10 minutes at the most and then came back down and she was gone 
Mm-hmm. And you just take us through the, it must have been really hard for them to relive that with you in such detail for you to be able to write about it and capture it. Yeah, it was, it was um, emotional for them. I mean, I, I spent quite a lot of time with them, so it came out over time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did a lot of (laughs) journalistic, um, can we just, can I just ask you again, what happened then, you know, how long was it that you were, that you left her and, um, they they definitely had not thought about that day for since it happened. Yeah. Um they went into, you know, they went into a, a level of shock, I think. Yeah. After it happened. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it also might have been somewhat therapeutic for them in the end. Yeah. Um especially given that she's back. Yeah. But yeah, there was there was a lot of emotion obviously and a lot of guilt. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of a lot of trauma. It was really a nightmare. Yeah. Um, I've, I've done some shows, um, pretty consistently over the years about grief, um, you know, pet around our pets. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I had to say goodbye to one of my dogs, my first dog as a young adult, um, back in 2009 in our first year of the show. And, you know, talked about that very candidly on air and and have done a number of shows over the years about pet loss support and grief and and, uh, you know, just providing a conversation about this this important aspect of living and loving living with and loving pets is that we usually have to say goodbye to them because we usually outlive them. And um, I really heard in the book that they, you know, uh, in in society their grief, they didn't feel that their grief was recognized. And I hear that a lot from people, um, you know, here, if they have a pet die, it is a big event in a family. It's, it's the experience of losing a family member. And yet there are a lot of people, um, that is sort of shocking to me, but who still have that sort of mindset of like, well, it's not like it was, you know, a human child. It was just a pet. But the grief is deep and and especially in such a, you know, to to go through something so traumatic and so abrupt and and the unknown part of what happened to her. How, you know, is she dead? Probably. How did she die? Did she suffer? I mean, all of those sort of questions that they had where they didn't know there was so much unknown in addition to not really feeling like they could get a whole lot of support from their community. It just, Mm. I, it really, you really, uh, the, the devastation was very clear and I certainly understand, um, what a horrible nightmare. I I can't express in words how, how horrible that must've been for them, but I can feel it, you know, in my heart. I just can't imagine. And I'm just so glad that it had a happy ending. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, a lot of people feel that way that it's like, oh, you know, it's that's, oh, I'm so sorry you lost your dog. But I, I think more and more people are more widely appreciating how deep that grief is. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, the 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 fact that they felt responsible for it mm-hmm. just made it that much darker yeah. and deeper. 
um, and very, very difficult to talk about with their friends and even with each other and to kind of face what it was that they were feeling or let alone allowed to feel given, you know, given that it's a, is a um, weird area of grief um, and also given that they felt that they, they had done, they had really messed up yeah, and that they, you know, they'd let her down mm-hmm. and she was so special for them and, and obviously so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a very dark time for them. Yeah. For sure. It was, yeah. Five months of, of, of trying to move on and trying, um, kind of, you know, trying to pick themselves up and, and, I think convince themselves that maybe she'd gone in a in a gentle way. Yeah. Um, but you know, they they were haunted for sure. And Dan talked about dreaming about her and and you know feeling that she would see her. And there are there are blue hills everywhere in mm-hmm. Australia, right. and especially up in that area. Yeah. Um. So you know, seeing seeing them go by on the back of trucks and not being able to look, or you know, yeah. Dave's heart stopping every time so that was yeah it was a very difficult time and they really they really didn't talk about it much yeah it's uh okay so she goes overboard and we kind of go through those just that horrible time and they and poor jan and dave and the whole family but they're just i mean you wrote they just there was like nothing to look forward to and they were just very 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 heartbroken over this and really just devastated and um uh they even that evening had to meet with friends for dinner, you know, the evening that had happened. Um and mm-hmm. they just looked and looked and looked and and just, you know, couldn't find her and um and then so they're home and you know, just trying to put one foot in front of the other, right? And yep. then a month later, um a man named Brian Kinderman saw mm-hmm. Sophie uh, or saw a dog standing mm-hmm. in the road on Keswick Island, which is off the coast of um, Australia near where they live. It's called, is it called Mackay? Uh, Mackay. Mackay. Yep. So he's driving along. It's, it was there 20 houses on this island total and yep. there's no domestic pets allowed because of okay. the to protect the um ecosystem that's there and mm-hmm. then he sees this dog standing in the middle of the road tried to like lasso her with a rope but she was having none of that bolted followed her for a while and then she cut into the brush and disappeared mm-hmm. and this was an island and that she looked very thin uh so this mm-hmm. is a little over a month after after she went overboard um yeah and that there was no fresh water on this island either. So very little food for her to find and no, fr- really no fresh water. There's something about that she could dig for it. But, you know, it was sort of like very wet, but um, it's not like there were pools of fresh water for her to drink from. No. And that to get to the island in the first place seems to be yeah. like one of the most remarkable aspects of her survival that... um that she must have been out in the water and somebody said for 12 hours swimming. It's 
it's possible. Yeah, it really is kind of a miracle. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm, and hearing you recount it again, and I'm yeah, it's just I kind of get the clamped every time. Yeah, um, you know, even years later, it's like, what? How did she do that? Yeah, um, five nautical yeah. miles she swam, but then there was this whole thing about the tides. And because, yes. you know, the tides are strong, especially that time of year, I think. And, uh, you know, basically you can't, you know, if the tide's moving 12 knots one way, you can't swim against it. So she basically no. had to swim sort of and go where the tides took her as well. And that was not only was she able to kind of hang in there for long enough, but she ended up being sort of taken to where she landed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there there are two scenarios. Um, one of them is that she landed on uh, another little island first called Aspatria, which is, um, uh, so St. Bees is in the middle, which is where she landed eventually. But um, so she might have landed there first. That's the most likely scenario in terms of where she went overboard and what the tides would have done. And yet, for her to have done that, she would have then had to have decided yeah. um, to go in again, yeah. looking <laughs> looking for her family, probably, and or um, food. So it is it's an it's a total miracle. And the fact that the tide, if the tides had swept her to Keswick, that's all the way around two islands from where she went overboard, um, and into an incredibly dangerous and fast-moving passage that she would have had to scramble out of to get onto land at yeah. all after having done an incredible swim <laughs> through oh. shark-infested water. Yeah, so coral, really, yeah. sharks, all sorts of stuff in the water. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. she makes it to land miraculously. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and and this is all happening, and Jan and Dave are are grieving back in Mackay. Yep. And one of the questions that um, that they I know that they were wondering, like, what what did she do once she got to shore? Like, did you know they're so curious about what you know what did she do? Did she uh, just go and lay down and rest or did she look for food or, you know, it's kind of like, what did she do? Yeah. Um, she didn't approach any, she encountered people. So she encountered, um, Brian on the road, didn't approach him. Um, didn't, there were workers on the Island, wouldn't ever approach them. And that she, when she was with the Griffiths before the accident, she was always friendly, but only if she was with one of the Griffiths. And that was, uh, you know, and they're they're a notorious breed for being uh, very, very, very loyal to their families, but almost suspicious of strangers and really not interested in just saying hi to anybody. They like their family and then they're good. They really don't need to be interacting with strangers. Yeah. Yeah. They're loyal to their master. It's not, not even necessarily to their family, but to one master. They mm-hmm. really do latch on to one. I don't know if that's true of your cattle dogs. And when they're domesticated, it's it has it has evolved, but that is that's what their breed yeah was was is made was bred for yeah so yeah, so it makes sense that she didn't um you know that she didn't approach Brian and that she didn't approach others except that you know, she was 
you know, desperate and foodless and, and left abandoned somewhat. Um, and still her loyalty remained kind of absurd almost. (laughs) Um, you know, the interesting, I've interviewed, um, a few times some people who specialize in lost pet recovery and Mm -hmm. there are some sort of, uh, textbook behaviors of dogs when they are lost. And um, there have been cases of dogs who they just sort of get into, uh, they're in like a a panic type um, state of mind and in some cases won't even recognize their owners. Like if they've been missing and and then there they are, they're faced with their family member and they they don't it something about i don't know wow. something kicks in when they get lost and panicked and and it's uh something that's talked about a lot in that world about how to sort of effectively get a lost animal to approach you even as the even as the dog's owner to not say their name to not um you know directly communicate with them but to just sort of hang around and and like talk to somebody else or just sort of act Mm. normal but if like you approach them they kind of freak out like it's a very very common thing so I wonder if part of that was you know not only her uh, sort of suspicion of strangers um, just from her temperament but also the fact that she she had also gone through trauma herself so um, so she's on this island and then she ends up and it's sort of questionable whether she was somewhere before that or whether she, you know, that was the original place, Keswick. And then yep. two months, almost two months later, I don't mm-hmm. know how to, I don't know how it's properly pronounced, Egremont Passage? The Egremont, I think. Egremont. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> so I swam from Keswick to St. Bees Island. Am I saying that right? You are. Okay. And um, that this is a pretty treacherous passage and there's a whole lot of speculation as to, you know, must have been low tide. Uh, This passage has claimed um, human lives, you know, um, Mm -hmm. there's no way she would have made it if it was high tide. The fact that she even made it in low tide is incredible. And that also, you know, this sort of thought about whether she calculated you know, whether she, you know, she had had some time to sort of notice, you know, did she yeah. sense the difference in the, t- you know, the water was calmer at certain times, that sort of ebb and flow, was she able to, did she time it? And, you know, then this whole thing about that, you know, that it was just intentional. And then the fact that she went in the first place, uh, there's goats on St. Bees uh, and water. So mm-hmm. was she, was she smelling was she smelling the promise of food and fresh water and that's why she chose to swim. Um, she was very thin. The, the the times when she had been spotted, she was she was very thin. Um, she was mm-hmm. still moving strongly, but very thin. Um, so it's really interesting to sort of ponder that internal process for her as a dog. I say all the time that dogs don't get enough credit for their ability to you know, process and their level of awareness of what all is going on. Mm. Um, but to kind of get into her experience in those moments and, and leading up to that point to where she really made a decision. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty cool to imagine that. I mean, to go back to her um, kind of Zen personality and her natural vigilance. Um, I guess that's what I imagine um, kicking in and the idea of her. I mean, she was on Keswick for a couple of months, so she did have time um, and maybe the trauma was, you know, she was shaking it off and her survival mechanisms were kicking in. And I have this kind of vision of her sitting on the shore night after night watching the tides roll in and out yeah. <laughs> quite poetic but, yeah. you know and thinking something ticking over in her her brilliant dog mind and smelling smelling life across that passage yeah but she really would have had to have timed it, it it's yeah miracle it's number astounding. two yeah. yeah or three yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. no yeah so meanwhile She's, you know, she's over here. So she swims across and gets to St. B's. Mm-hmm. And um, meanwhile, Jan and Dave still moping around, you know, felt like mm-hmm. they had nothing to look forward to, just like so sad. Uh, their son, Luke, had the idea of getting his parents a new dog. Um, mm-hmm. Another cattle dog, because no mm-hmm. other breed would do, but they mm-hmm. figured a red healer. And we have yep. we have one blue and one red. So Australian <laughs> cattle dogs come as either a red healer or blue healer. Those are Australian cattle dogs. A lot of times people think that those a healer and an a cattle dog are different breeds. Same, right? Um, so Not they true. so she's got they've got a and they asked Dave first, and he said no way. But then a few days later, it was like, have you found one yet? <laughs> Um, so no dog could ever replace Sophie, but it just wasn't any fun without a dog around. And, um, so in comes Ruby, Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, very lively red healer. Um, and, you know, they were very pleased, you know, sort of Jan squealed at the first sight of her, but, um, you wrote the initial (laughs) euphoria of Ruby's arrival didn't last Jan didn't admit for a long time that having a new dog around made her feel exhausted and sadder still, that they just really didn't feel ready in their hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, at first, they had just barely gotten to the point where they could reference Sophie when seeing another cattle dog at that point. Uh, <laughs> and Bridget says about Ruby, this sort of crazy little red healer um, puppy, it was like she was on ecstasy. Um <laughs> says Bridget, who had a hard time bonding with Ruby. I was excited that there was a puppy, but then I got home and thought, you're a bit much. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I thought Ruby was absolutely gorgeous, so cute. I just wanted her to stop, just calm down. And I was sort of laughing because our um, male red healer was very much like that as a puppy. He couldn't, I mean, we could hardly pet him. He, He couldn't sit still for... And if he was laying down and we would start to touch him, he would just get all excited and start and get up and start moving again. I mean, it really took him oh, a, man. It took him a while to settle down. So I was like, I know what that's like. Um, yeah, a lot of adrenaline. Yeah. And there's still no photos of Sophie around the place. Her name really wasn't mentioned. And um, Ruby was there, just a, a little tornado. Um, 
And uh, so they, they start sort of adjusting to this new dog um, who definitely, you know, they start, of course, warming up to her and start calling her nicknames and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then back on St. B's, it's now December 16th. So Sophie went overboard on October 25th. Right. And so it's now, and this was 2008? Yes. Okay. And so now it's December 16th. Peter Burke? Yep. As living, he's a resident on St. B's, like the only resident on St. B's? He's the only resident yeah. on St. B's. Yeah. Uh, got a call from Brian Kinderman, the man who ran into Sophie uh, or spotted Sophie on the road on Keswick Island uh, to keep a lookout for the blue dog that had been on Keswick and was now on St. B's. And Peter, it sounds he was a, a dog guy and he had actually had cattle dogs in his past. And he was actually pretty psyched about the idea that there was a dog on the island with him. <laughs> uh, there was no doubt that a dog had a better chance of survival on St. B's than Keswick. The incredible thing was that this dog seemed not only to have worked that out, but have done something about it and got herself there. And so that was December 16th. And then it was a month later that Peter had his first sighting of Sophie. Um, and he yep. tried to leave kibble out for her. She wouldn't eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought it was really interesting that, you know, uh, by late February, he noticed a significant increase in her weight. And um, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about why she started to put some weight on and sort of uh, finish up the last segment of this story. We're talking with Emma Pierce, who is the author of this book, called Sophie, Dog Overboard. Uh, It's really just an incredible story. I can't recommend the book enough. Um, Definitely check it out. It's a great read, a very gripping, um, fast read. You'll love it. Uh, We are uh, talking with Emma Pierce, the author. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. This is Julie Forbes. I'm excited to tell you about Farm Dog Naturals, a company that handcrafts herbal remedies for the all-natural dog. Quality and integrity are must-haves for anything that I recommend. Certified eco-friendly and cruelty-free, their products address issues like stress and anxiety, itching, hot spots, crusty noses, as well as pet urine, stains, and odor. Farm Dog Naturals is guaranteed, and I'm so happy with the results I'm seeing. Shipping is available worldwide from their website, farmdognaturals.com, or you can ask for them at a retailer near you. Again, that's farmdognaturals.com. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Northwest School of Animal Massage on Vashon Island, we cover the world of animals. This week, March 12th, it's a Talk With Your Animals Sunday with gifted animal communicator, medium, and Reiki master Darcy Pariso. Darcy can help you talk with and learn about your animal friends or help you connect with animal or human loved ones on the other side. So plan to give us a call on Martha Norwalk's Animal World Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. 
Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities. You name it, and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me, host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. <laughs> Self-help, healing, spirituality, and more on Alternative Talk, 1150. The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. We're talking with Emma Pierce, author of the book, Sophie, Dog Overboard. It's, it's one of the most incredible stories, if not the most incredible story I think I've come across so far in all of my author interviews over the years here. Um, so, Emma, we're talking about sort of going back and forth, Sophie's progression on the island and how she moved. She swam from one island to the to another island that actually had more food and um, that she started gaining weight, that they noticed she was looking less thin after, uh, I think it was like three or four months now total, and she had gone over to St. B's Island. Yeah. And what was the factor over there that they think that contributed to her gaining weight? Well, there are goats that were introduced to the island um, at some point that, that are on St. B's that she would have been smelling. Um, and there were a few goat carcasses found around the island um, that they they wondered. They, honestly, there's really no pure information um, about what she did. There was no... They pretty much determined that she didn't go hunting herself, mm-hmm. um, but that she you know, came across maybe a goat carcass or two mm-hmm. at some point. There's just also a lot more wildlife on, on St. Bees, a lot more lizards and, and crabs, and um, there are freshwater streams. And um, so, and she was seen a few times ferreting around the rocks. So she, she was basically kind of on a seafood <laughs> diet mm. wow. at that point. Yeah. She's starting to get the hang of it and that she was actually gaining weight and starting to look healthier and and a little beefier, which was nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. She probably also found shelter. Yeah. Um, Yeah. At one point, one of the rangers came across her in one of the little houses. There are only a couple of houses on St. B's, but um, at one point, one of the rangers came across her. So she was finding, she was working out how to take care of herself by that point. Mm. So, so crazy, December 31st, New Year's Eve, the Griffiths go to St. B's. Mm-hmm. And 
there was a lot of, uh, you're going to have to read the book to find out all of the details. It's called Sophie dog overboard. Um, there's a lot of intuition that starts happening. Like people start getting feelings, starting with Jan who thinks that she found a goat's nest and she said, isn't it eerie and sort of had her hand on her heart. And, and they were kind of like, Oh, you're just being silly or whatever, but that she really had this strange feeling and that they were actually on a beach that Sophie spent time on. It's just, Sophie wasn't, wasn't there at that time. How crazy Mm -hmm. that is. Mm. Um, And then do you, can you tell us about the events that led to the connection that this, so now they're, they're like, okay, we've got to trap this dog because this is, you know, a protected area. We need to protect the ecosystem. No, no predators allowed, basically no domesticated animals allowed kind of thing. Um, so like right at the time, that they're starting to trap this dog. Like the day before they were putting the trap down, mm-hmm. there's a conversation that happened Yeah, that connected the two. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Yeah. It's a very, um, it's a kind of really sweet small town um, serendipity story where, uh, so Peter Buck was, he lived there because his family had leased the island for, for um, decades. And his brother um, was the one, his brother David was the one who was in touch with the rangers and they were talking about this dog and kind of trying to work out how to deal with it because she really wasn't supposed to be there. But they're all kind of soft-hearted yeah. dog lovers and didn't want to face what it might mean to trap the dog. Um, and, yeah, um, but they had come to a point where, because the other thing about some bees is that it's one of the only um, places in Australia where koalas live in the wild, and it's a major research center for koala research. So that is the other reason why you don't want to have a dog on an island like that. Um, so, um, yeah, the day before they were setting the trap, David over on the mainland had a barbecue, as Australians do, and invited his na- several of his neighbors. And um, he'd been kind of keeping the dog story under wraps because it was, it's somewhat of a political, uh, socio-political issue um, in, in that area. Um, and, but he couldn't keep his mouth shut anymore. So he started telling the story that there was a dog on the island, that it looked like a wolf, and that, they, that the rangers were going to trap the dog the next day. And... Um, two of his neighbors who were there, um, this is Jody and Ray, uh, were hearing this story and Ray was kind of quietly listening. And again, yeah, as you say, there were feelings starting to, to happen, um, across, across the land, I guess. And, mm-hmm. and he remembered that Jody's mother had told them the story of one of her girlfriends losing her dog overboard several months earlier and he brought that up and said imagine that was the dog and it was kind of this crazy ridiculous scenario um but they they followed it because they felt you know i mean it is a small town and yeah 
imagine. So yeah. it turned out that Jody's mother was was Jan's friend, mm-hmm. and they they kind of had a sense, and they called, and um, Jody's mother called Jan and said, "This is so crazy, but apparently there's a dog and some bees. Apparently, it looks like a wolf. Imagine it was Sophie." Yeah. So. So then, you know, again, get the book. You'll find out how <laughs> how it all plays out from there. And so we just have a few minutes left. So how is so Sophie was ended up, I mean, miracle number like 12, ended up home. <laughs> and um, how is she, you know, now? She, did she just sort of step right back into her life? Like, what was that transition like for them? Hmm. She, I mean, she's she's amazing and healthy now. It's, it's several years on. Um, mm-hmm. It was a very quick, seamless transition. She was in perfect health wow. when she arrived back, which was astounding to everyone. Yeah. Um, Jan and Dave took her straight to the vet and they did a full physical, and there was, there was literally nothing, like not even a scratch on her. Yeah. Um, and she she really did transition very quickly back into her old sweet being a child, you know, the the child of the family self. Wow. Um she she sniffed out her bowls, she went she knew exactly where her lead was. Oh. She would go up the stairs and and sit outside the door as she used to. It was it was kind of again, it was miraculous. And she now has a little sister in Ruby, the red healer. Yes. Yes, and they, she, they, you're, I mean, they love each other, and I think it took quite a quite a while. Just, I think Sophie probably had some feelings of of being replaced, and also Ruby is she is a handful, um, the opposite, the absolute opposite of Sophie. So that took a little while, um, and even now, I think they kind of Sophie's definitely the older sister. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess. So it was she was she was herself when she came back, but I think over time um there is definitely a sense that her that she's a little different. Mm-hmm. And I was saying before that you're in a room with Sophie and you really feel that this is a wise, wise old gal. Yeah. Um and I think there there's kind of a you know, there's a depth and there's a almost a there's almost a gloominess that comes through every now and again. Mm-hmm. Um you know that it's possible that there is trauma that that has that has stayed with her, um, and or just a sense that you know she's she's lived through something that 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 we haven't. Yeah, well, very understandable for sure, and and so did Jan and and Dave and the whole family. You know, it, it had a happy ending; they were reunited, but it, they they all had to kind of go through this really hard thing, and it's really just a remarkable story. Time really does fly. Um, so this book is called Sophie, Dog Overboard. Author is Emma Pierce. And I just, I can't recommend this book highly enough. It's a great read, uh, very entertaining and gripping with a fantastic sto- uh, story ending. Emma, thanks so much for your time today. And uh, thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. 
You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.